This is the What's Next Teacher Podcast with your host, Dr. Julie Warner. Here you'll hear from former teachers who have left the classroom for thriving careers in and outside of education to help you picture yourself on the other side and land the job of your dreams. If you're feeling confused about what to do next, stuck, or fearful about paying the bills, What's Next Teacher has your back. Now here's your host, Dr. Julie Warner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of What's Next Teacher. I'm your host, Julie Warner. This episode was a lot of fun for me to record. I interviewed a former colleague and good friend of mine, Andy Boyle. Andy taught high school social studies at the same school at the same time as I was teaching high school English. And he's now transitioned into the ed tech space, but he works in the university space. So he's at Kennesaw State University, right outside of Atlanta, in their college of education, but he's in a service unit called iTeach. And iTeach goes out into the schools under Andy's leadership, and they do professional development, instructional coaching, anything and everything that you can think of to support schools in implementing an educational technology and to promote student-centered learning with and through tech. So it's really cool, fun stuff. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. And about halfway through, he flips the script on me. I guess he felt a little too familiar and started asking me questions. So you'll get a little bit of that too. I want to make you aware of a few things I've got coming up. Um, I know everybody's getting back to school and back in the groove. And with that, we're always thinking about (laughs) that career change on the horizon, right? What's your plan for job hunting in 2022 and 2023? What are you thinking about your job hunt and how that's going to look for the rest of this year? I've got a few offerings that I am putting together for you all. One is a workshop called Transitioning Out of Teaching, Deciding on a New Career. I I just keep hearing that folks don't know what to do next. They don't know what else is out there for them. Wouldn't it be great to have some help in figuring out what else you can do? after teaching? Yes, it would be great. <laughs> and I'm I'm there for you. I'm happy to be there for you. And I am also looking at holding another resume we- workshop, but this one will be a week-long boot camp, um, live sessions every other day. So, you know, for about a week, you will be working with me. And by the end of it, you're going to have your resume done and dusted. So you're not going to want to miss that. And then I will be holding my 21-day career transition challenge for teachers in the fall. So that's going to get you ready for that job hunt by the end of the 21 days if you fully participate and, you know, carry out all the action items that I ask you to take care of, then you're going to feel really, really confident out there on the job market. I can guarantee that. Don't go it alone. All right now, enjoy the show. 
Hey, Andy. <laughs> I want to talk to you about what you're doing now um, for the bulk of this episode. But first, if you'll tell the listeners about how many years you taught and what you taught and just give us a sense of your background as a teacher. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. I I really appreciate you um, inviting me on and and giving me this opportunity, Julie. So thanks. Thanks very much. I started teaching uh, around 2001. So... That puts me in education right at about 21 years um, altogether, but I spent about 10 years in K-12 classrooms. So I'm a high school social studies certified teacher. So that means I taught everything in the social sciences, right? So U.S. history, um, psychology, all the way to the bulk of my time was spent teaching economics. And that, that's really where I enjoyed um, teaching the most like ninth grade economics. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so a a lot of our listeners want to know, you know, maybe there are issues going on where they're teaching. Maybe they're really feeling like it might be time for them to leave the classroom, but they're not completely sure. I wonder if you can talk through about the circumstances with which you kind of decided, Hey, you know, let's pursue something else. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. So I wasn't even thinking about leaving when I left, Uh, but an opportunity presented itself. Um, A buddy of mine actually needed help with his business. Um, And so I jumped in to help him. And for about a year and a half, I was, uh, I was helping him. He's an entrepreneur. He owns his own business. And so I was just helping him. I did a website for him, uh, managed all of his IT stuff, um, and just was enjoying that. I was a bit of a, a techie nerd in the classroom. Um, and so to have the opportunity to get out and just really focus on that seemed like a cool idea. Kind of at the time, I was building my classroom websites and really trying to learn as much as I could um, around technology in the classroom. And so when he asked me to, to help him, I, I jumped right on. That's awesome. So did you find that it was a smooth transition for you? Because I know a lot of teachers feel that their skill set is pretty narrowly tied to what we do in the classroom every day. And it sounds like what you were going into is quite a bit different, even though you were drawing on some of the same skills and some of the, that content area knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. The, it was, it was, you know, difficult is the word coming to mind, but not like a, it wasn't a scary difficult. It was a difficult in that I, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to be doing every day when I went in. And that was, as a teacher, I knew exactly what I was doing. I, I prepped, I prepared, I knew what was going to be happening in my classroom every day. So not knowing mm-hmm. was a, was a bit, um, caused a little bit of anxiety. And then I, I missed kids. I missed working with kids. And that was, that was probably the biggest, most difficult piece was that, uh, that I left and it, it was something that I enjoyed doing and that I really was interested in at the time, but it wasn't something that I was really passionate about long-term. And I think that was my problem. Yeah, I understand that. I personally experienced a bit of an identity crisis, I think, because I, too, loved working with kids and all of a sudden I was just surrounded by 
adults. <laughs> and I was always, you know, Ms. Warner, Ms. Warner. And that was who I came to be, like whoever I was for this group of 120 kids. And so right. then you're sort of having to reconfigure your identity and, and as a professional. And it's, it's just so much different, especially like, as you're saying, you don't really have the kind of autonomy that you have as a classroom teacher. Not that, you know, it is, it's not constrained because it certainly is with standards and um, scripted curriculum and everything else. But yeah. Did you have any other kind of um, emotional elements to deal with other than that, you know, trying to figure out a new identity, missing working with kids. I mean, I know a lot of people go through loss or guilt even. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't know that I, I got there. So I, but I did go out and seek ways to get my hands on kids. And so I volunteered at a high school as a soccer coach was one thing that I did mm -hmm. uh, to get my fix. And I did that for as long as my schedule allowed it. I got to a point um, where my schedule just didn't allow for it anymore. Um, yeah. And I, you know, and then I lost that piece of it. Um, money always worried me. I was about uh, 10 years into my home. And that seems like a lot, I think, when I say it today. Um, but I was nervous about, about income. And, yeah. You know, when you're a teacher, I, I knew what I was making. I knew it was coming. I was on contract. I, w I had my years in, so I knew I was going to get my contract every year. Yeah. And stepping outside of that was a bit of uh, a bit of anxiety inducing as well. Just that fear of if the work goes away, if, if something happens, I can be fired, you know, let go, whatever it may be. And then, and then I would have really been out on a limb. Yeah, I understand that. I, I do keep looking for positions where there is that built in stability, because that was something I really valued too. I, I love that piece of advice, though, to figure out how you can still work with kids. This isn't the end. If you, you know, do step into a new career, you can do that coaching, you can do volunteer work. Uh, there's still ways to be of service in the community if that's something that's really important to you. Right. I think that's great advice. Well, talk about your career since teaching to now. Now you're directing. Um, you're the head honcho. I'd love to get a sense <laughs> of how that's how that's gone. Uh, yeah. So that's been uh, it's great. So and that's uh, you know I'm the director at I teach and that's a fairly new position. I was named permanent director here in, uh, at the beginning of June, um, was the interim for about a year, but since 2011, I, I worked for my buddy for about a year, maybe a little over a year. And then, you know, as a, as happenstance, you know, a miracle serendipity, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I got a phone call from a graduate professor of mine, uh, and there was a positioning opening up for uh, for a coach, an instructional coach at iTeach. It was, and it was they were as a unit tied to um, the instructional technology department at Kennesaw State University, and and it was all these people that were my professors through grad school. And um, she called me up and said, Andy, there's this opening. I think you would be great for it. 
and all of those things that we just talked about, right? The, the knowing where your paycheck's coming from and getting your hands on kids and all of these things. It was just like, all of a sudden I can do this and I can have all of these pieces that I was missing, but I'm not a classroom teacher. So I don't have to deal with the parents. I don't have to deal with the, the politics, especially now, uh, the toxic politics surrounding classroom instruction. I'm a social studies guy. So definitely there would have been, Oh, you know, yeah. quest- questions about what I can and can't say in the classroom surrounding the curriculum. Uh, and so the opportunity to to be able to get in there and work with teachers and, you know, model lessons and, and model what best practices look like for teachers that, that need help or that just want the help um, was a golden opportunity. So I, I jumped on that. I've been doing it since then, and I, I, I love it started out as a, I don't even know what my title was, like a client support specialist, I think is what we were called in 2011. And then we became instructional coaches. Uh, and then I was a project lead and now, uh, now the director. That's great. And how ma- about how many years was it to get to that point? Yeah, so since 2011, so we were a pretty flat organization until just very recently. And so for about 10 years, I, I was in the same position, making, okay, pretty gotcha. much, making pretty much the same money. We, we don't, um, we're separate from K-12 and, and how we get paid. And so when K-12 is getting, they've been getting some pretty nice pay increases over the past few years here in Georgia. We have not seen those. So we just got a cost of living this year, a cost of living adjustment, first time in 10 years. Um, So that's been difficult, but, uh, you know, we've made it work. Um, But yeah, about about 10 years I've been with Kennesaw State. Yeah, I I asked because it's hard, I think, for teachers to get a sense of that career development and that upward mobility that can exist outside of the classroom because it sure as heck isn't there in the school system. I mean, you can be an expert teacher and there's nowhere to really go, you know, unless you want to be an administrator, which, you know, personally, I never had any interest in. You are sort of just stagnant. Um, You know, you can pursue degrees, you can pursue professional development, but you're sort of just flatlined out at, at educator. Right. Yeah. Teacher, teacher. Yeah. <laughs> and I think too, that's what, you know, helps to laminate this concept of ourselves as a teacher and we can't do anything else. And, you know, there's no way to move out and transition out of the classroom space. Um, yeah. So, so what's a typical day like for you now? Yeah, so I am, I'm on campus about 60% of the time. So about three days a week, maybe four, two, whatever. I'll be on campus. I have an office. And uh, we also have two model classrooms. So if I'm alone, if I'm the only one there, I'll be in my office working. And my main, my main focus, my number one priority is to secure contracts. So that fear of not knowing where my pay is going to come from that I had leaving the classroom is actually still my largest fear today, even though uh, I feel secure in my job, we're soft funded. So if we don't contract, um, our jobs go away. Mm-hmm. So so I, I spend the bulk of my days uh, planning for 
how to uh, how to engage in conversations with districts, how to, we, I do a lot of conferences. And so we put together presentations and try to put ourselves out there and what we're doing out there so that, uh, you know, people that come to a session in a conference or come to a workshop, will try to, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to lead that into a conversation about how can we support your school or your district um, in this work as well. So I do a lot of that. And then I've got uh, a team of about 20. And so, you know, managing 20 different diverse personalities that are now all remote. Um, it takes some time throughout the day as well. You know, I try to reach out to somebody every day just to have a conversation to keep, keep the conversation going, you know, with, with people since we're not in the office and we're not in the classroom and, you know, in, in the classroom where you could just walk down the hall and you have those conversations. But when you're a team of 20 remote people, it's, you have to be a lot more intentional uh, when you're, when you're having those conversations. And so I, I work really hard at trying to do that. I know that that's not a strong suit of mine. Um, and so I have to be intentional and really practice it. Yeah. And so how do you find that kind of trade off then for that stability and that security and that ability to forecast what your salary is going to be and know that you're going to be employed year to year? Um, it sounds like you have a lot of benefits like being able to work remotely and maybe have a bit more autonomy over your day. Are there other sorts of trade offs there that you find maybe make it worthwhile to lose that security? Yeah, sure. The benefits are great. And that's generally in our pay doesn't necessarily, we don't always equate with classroom teacher pay. So teachers are generally ahead of us a little bit. We try to keep up, but our benefits are really nice. So we're extremely flexible. So while I'm in the office 60 to 80% of the week, 99% uh, of the, the coaches and the staff here are home pretty much every day, unless they're in a building for the past, you know, through COVID we were home every day. And so we've just got a couple of contracts that are starting to open back up. So we've got a couple of coaches that might be in a building once every two weeks for a training or doing a learning walk. But, uh, but aside from that, you know, we pretty much work remote. So, you know, that gives us the flexibility to be able to work by the pool or if <laughs> your, your family is going to Florida, you know, we're, we're flexible in that if you only want to take a half a day and then work for four hours and, and put those four hours of work you know, in your day down in Florida, we allow for that. Um, you know, if you got to take your kid to the doctor, or you want to make a run to Kroger in the middle of the afternoon, we just, as long as our work's getting done, nobody's checking up on, on where we are and, and, and what we're doing. So we are able to take care of our own business and our work. And that's a huge, that's a huge, uh, you know, something I think teachers are lacking in the classroom is that feeling that they are treated like professionals and so yes. to be able to be able to provide that to my staff, I think is a huge boom, uh, you know, to when, when I say, I, well, I can't pay you exactly what you were making in the classroom, but you know, I can treat you like a responsible professional and trust you, you know, in your judgment. And so that's good. We also get free tuition after six months. And so we have a lot of, a lot of young teachers that will join us for, for just a couple of years. They'll come, they'll degree up and maybe they'll get a new type of certification. So they'll come with like a T4. So they've got an undergraduate and their teacher and they'll leave with like an S5. So then they'll have a master's degree, but it's in a service field. So they'll be in a, you know, like an instructional technologist role. 
And so they can leave and do a whole new role in a building, maybe even ideally a district level position so that they're making more money um, and have a little more autonomy in, in what they do. Um, so we, right. we, have, we have a lot that will, that will do that with us as well. Yeah, that's a huge benefit. I mean, that you can't look that in, in the um, mouth. I mean, tuition's expensive. And, and that was one thing that really drove me crazy about teaching was I couldn't even run out to, you know, get a cup of coffee or even to use the bathroom. And I just think looking back on it now, I can't believe that I put up with that. It's it borders on inhumane. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think it was easier for us in high school. I think at the elementary level. Oh, yeah. Where there's like not a planning, they get a 15 minute lunch break. I think it's, I think it's worse at the elementary level. Um, yeah. You know, than, than we had it, but yeah, you know, and God forbid you're in the bathroom and somebody walks by your classroom and your kids are unsupervised for a second and they don't ask what was happening. They just yell at you for why are your kids left unsupervised? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what kind of um, skills have you had to pick up that you hadn't had before? It sounds like a lot of hustling, a lot of grant writing. Are there other things that you just kind of felt like, hey, I'm a little bit unprepared in this area. Um, you know, yeah. I need to brush up or learn something new. Absolutely. And we're, we're all self-taught here. So everyone who works for me is a certified teacher. So we come in with basically teacher skill sets. And then we have to do things like marketing. So I've taught myself how to use Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop so that I can make catalogs and one pagers and graphics for social media. Um, so we've delved a little bit into SEO, trying to optimize, you know, if you do a search for iTeach, we're, we're not number one right now, but we're, we're on page one, which is better than we were 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so those are all types of things I've taught myself how to code, how to build websites. Um, and these are just out of necessity, right? So we would be sitting <laughs> around one day and what do we need? Well, we need a catalog of services. Well, who wants to learn how to use publisher and, and, you know, illustrator and, and put together a catalog. So um, the majority before I was the director, that was me. Most of the time I was doing those kind of uh, those types of projects raising my hand for whatever I've, you know, I've had to learn things like device management, you know, how do you manage a classroom set of iPads? You know, it's, it's kind of easy right now. We don't even really think about it, but in, in 2010, 2011, when, when iPads were just hitting the classroom, nobody knew what to do with them or how to manage them. Or what do you do when you can only use one Apple ID, but you want to buy 30 apps, but, It'll only let you buy one app, but you got to put it on 30 devices. And is that ethical? And, you know, there are all these, all these issues that we had to figure out, you know, how to do all this stuff um, and then turn around and, and go teach schools how to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, we've survived off of, off of our ability to learn and to pivot and to be able to do that quickly and, and then help schools do that. Right. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's like a personal skill set that you have to have that agility, that nimbleness 
And that's really important for the work that you do in schools anyway. Yes. Um, so what do you look for when you're hiring now that you're on the hiring side? I mean, I think it's, it's pretty interesting that you've been on kind of both sides of the coin now. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's great timing. So I actually just finished the round of hiring uh, last Tuesday. And so I think, I think first and foremost, what we look for are great teachers because that, you know, at the end of the day, good teaching is good teaching. And so we try to identify, and for me, great teaching is built upon the ability to build relationships, to build empathy, to build rapport, and to relate to teachers. And so that's the biggest thing that we look for when we're interviewing is, are you able to establish just in this short amount of time a relationship with us? Are you able to demonstrate empathy? Are you able to demonstrate that, uh, you know, we try to put everyone through a coaching simulation? And that's the, that's the biggest thing that we look for is, are you able to empathize with this teacher? And can you establish a relationship in, you know, three minutes? Or what kind of relationship can you establish in, in three to five minutes that you've got to demonstrate with us? Um, well, let me interrupt you there. I wonder how folks are communicating that or if let me phrase that another way is that something that's in your job posting or is it just something that you sort of you know you're you'll know it when you see it I think it's that we know it when we see it it's not in our job posting I mean certainly coaching is in our job description mm -hmm. and, and it you know the job description contains words like teaching and coaching and I don't even know that's a good question I don't even know that the word relationship is in the posting. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, cause I see this from a couple of different angles. I've done some hiring myself and there's this element of, do I want to work with this person? Do I like them? Do I think right. that we're going to get along together? And that's not something that you advertise necessarily. And I've, I've chosen candidates that I just liked better than maybe someone that was more qualified. And I have the authority to do that. It's, it's up to me. It's a subjective call. But I think that a lot of teachers think, because I, I'll hear this from teachers that I work with, I don't understand why I didn't get a call back. I checked all the boxes on the job description. I should have, this job should have been mine. And I'm going, you don't really ever know what they're actually looking for. It's not either something that you can put into words right. or something that you want to put into writing. <laughs> Right, right. You know, how, how do you how do you demonstrate confidence, but at the same time, you are coachable. Educators, you've given so much. You deserve to feel respected, fulfilled and supported. And you're more marketable than you know. Let's find the right fit for you for the next phase of your career. Visit whatsnextteacher.com for one-on-one -on -one career coaching, job application materials, unteacherizing your resume, interview preparation, negotiation assistance, and Julie's course, the 21-Day Career Transition Challenge. And now, back to the show. Right? Mm -hmm. So we, can have, we have people that come in and are super confident, and they just they give off the vibe that they're not coachable. And some that are super coachable, but they don't have any confidence. Mm. And I need, you know, I need both of those. I need you to be able to step into a, a situation and, and be able to provide support, even if you don't know what to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. How do you, you got to figure something out really quick 
and, and, and go with it. Yeah, and, and I'll put you on the spot with a tough question. If you are a teacher and you're looking for a position, how do you suss out some of those softer skills that are going to be necessary for the role? Or what advice do you have for folks that are, you know, needing to demonstrate things like empathy or some of these more um, abstract kinds of things that aren't explicitly called for? Is it even possible? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't even know, you know, working in higher ed, we have so there, you know, the red tape and the bureaucracy is all around. So, you know, I don't even know that including things like that in the job description are, are is something you're able, able to do, you know, how do you yeah. quantify or how do you, you know, how do you put it on a rubric, empathy and and check that they were able to demonstrate or not demonstrate. Yeah, I don't know, but I think if you if you go through, you know, if you're looking to join iTeach and you read through the website and you look at the work that we're doing and you read about, you know, if you read our vision for personalized learning in Georgia, it talks all about empathy and you know executive functioning and helping people develop those skills. Um, and being able to build rapport and being able to support teachers um, in some of those softer skill sets. So I think the the clues are all over. The, you know, yeah. they're like <laughs> cookies that are sprinkled all throughout the place. And, you know, if you can read them and pick them up, um, I think the clues are all there. You know, it's just really maybe we're just measuring uh, who who checked out the website and who didn't when they come in. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's great advice. I mean, so so often we'll do like a quick scan and we're like, hey, I really get it. But I think you really want to go deeper and do some critical thinking and maybe imagine yourself in a typical day on the job. Like what would be difficult for you? What would come easily for you? And what kind of skills and soft skills would you engage? Right, right. I know sometimes we have the conversations after we, we interview someone and it's kind of, do they want to work for iTeach or do they just want to get out of where they are? You know, those are two different situations of, you know, that people are in that coming in that could be a, a really benefit and a, a positive or, or almost negative, you know, joining the workforce. Um, you know, and that's yes. like getting back to those passions, right? Are you just trying to get away from where you are or are you trying to, you know, do you want to try to find something you're passionate about and just find another way to explore and another way to contribute or another way to grow that passion and, you know, and make a paycheck in the, in the meantime? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I was thinking, too, as you were talking, I always recommend doing informational interviews. So if you had an idea that you wanted to do PD with teachers or, you know, be in a particular field try to talk to somebody that's doing that work and ask them about those kinds of soft skills. And if you can get in touch with the person that hires in that field, someone that's, you know, at the director level, ask them what kinds of things they look for. I think that could give you some of that insight too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I think it's always key, you know, just to throw this out there, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You know, <laughs> sometimes we, we jump into things. I know that I, I took about a year off in 2014 for my teach. I joined this startup. I thought it was going to be my million dollar, you know, startup 
yeah get rich and it was it was horrible <laughs> and it was <laughs> it was it was and it was a quality of life issue and, mm-hmm. and it was like i realized it didn't take me long at all to realize that i had made a mistake and that leaving that was going even further outside of education into this startup um and it just really was not you know in my best interest in what i wanted to do and it was i got lucky that i could come back to i teach fairly quickly um, oh that's great yeah i <laughs> i i do this activity or exercise with teachers that i coach that are in transition or interested in transitioning where i have them create a life map and i say you know plot on this map, you know, high points and low points, all of your professional and personal, um, you know, ex- major experiences that you've had, and then look for patterns across the high points and the low points. And that's how you can figure out what's going to be a good fit for you if it's got those things. Because I've been in a similar position where maybe I was over-focused on the money or I was over-focused on the status of the role. And then I get there and I'm like, you know, like working on the hill, I'm going, it's really fun. It's really cool. It's really rewarding. But do I really want to just live on the Capitol uh, campus? I mean, <laughs> not really. Uh, you're, you're spread pretty, pretty thin and you're on call. And so you got to think through what those non-negotiables are going to be, especially in terms of quality of life, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's a great, great question. Let me, let me flip the roles here and ask you a question. How do you, how do you help young teachers with that map? And maybe they don't have the life experience, right? Yeah. They, they, if you're, if, if you don't know, what are those non-negotiables? You know, I think at our age, and I'm not saying we're old. I would say we, I, I'm a, I, I'm starting, I remember how old you are. I'm much older than you, you know, and it may be that, you know, uh, someone who's five years in the classroom realizing like, holy crap, you know, I don't know that this is what I signed up for. How do I, you know, how do I move away? What if you don't know what those non-negotiables are yet? I mean, that. Yeah. Well, I think you still, even by, I mean, what's the average age of the new, new teacher, right? Is it's like 20, 21, something like that. Very young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, by that, you've got a couple of, by that time, you've got a couple of decades of, of life behind you. And I would say, think about the defining moments that you've had, whether that's something as simple as, you know, when I did the life map exercise, I had being in high school musicals as a high point for me, something I look back on really fondly and something that shaped my identity as a creative person, as a leader, as, collaborator you know whatever it was having fun while I'm doing something and putting my heart and soul into it you know something as simple as that or things that you had to deal with in your teenage years even um you know I had on mine I got grounded a lot and so I knew like I really valued socialization I really valued being around my peers and I didn't like being isolated. I didn't like, you know, in a working position later on 
you could see this reflected, like the times when I was just working all on my own, it was a little bit depressing. And I think you can sort of see that when you look back over your, your life experiences, even, even if you haven't had all that many of them. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I had no idea you were in high school musicals. Are there any uh, videos of those out? <laughs> I think, I think there might be a few, you know, go back to the Marietta high school archives, I guess. Uh, that would be I wasn't, funny. I wasn't too popular with the drama instructors, though. I think um, I goofed <laughs> off a little bit too much. That's funny. Well, what what advice do you have for teachers right now trying to leave the classroom for a new career? I mean, I think being on the hiring side, you've seen just how much mobility that people have right now, how competitive the job market is. Um, there's there there's great potential to make a better salary than, you know, double the salary maybe of what you're making as a classroom instructor in the right position. Um, What kind of advice do you have? And, 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 you know, particularly with teachers coming out of teaching through COVID and having, they're stressed out, they're maxed out. Yeah. I'd love to hear any advice you have. Yeah. So, and, and for the people that have left me and have done just this, doubled their salaries jumping, I, it, it's interesting. I think I saw on the news last night that there were like two jobs open right now for everyone looking. So, you know, it is an opportune time if you're looking to get out, to get out. But so one thing I know that I've heard back from mine as teachers, we're, we're not good at things like negotiating salaries, right? Because we don't ever do that as teachers. And so things, things that like negotiations, anything you can negotiate, I would tell teachers to really, you know, almost seek out a, a coach to help them through that process because they, they may be just so, like you said, exhausted and just ready to get into something else that, that they may sell themselves short. Yeah. Um, and to be patient and make sure that that uh, you know that they're passionate about what it is they're leaving for. I think for for me that's that's the the biggest thing is that you got to love what you're doing. If if you don't love what you're doing, then it's work, right? And work to me is not fun. And but if you love what you're doing, it, it's you know it's not work. Yeah, that's that's so true. I think I see a major mistake in just what you're saying as far as not thinking that through and just kind of trying to jump um, prematurely. I'll see my coaching clients say, I applied to a hundred jobs. I didn't get one. And I'm going, "Um, because you're throwing too much stuff at the wall. Like you really need to laser focus, really think about what these roles entail Otherwise, you're not going to be able to make a compelling case to a hiring manager that you're the one. Well, thanks so much for your time. I wonder if you have any more um, advice or any other words for my listeners that, you know, maybe came up that I haven't asked you about. Uh, No, I think I think you did a great job. I would just say, uh, you know to just uh, be patient and, uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm married. So I talk to my wife, everything I do, I try to, before I make any big decisions, I try to talk with someone else, mm-hmm. talk through it. And so, you know, if it, if they don't have a spouse or even if they do have a spouse to have someone like a, a coach, uh, like yourself to have someone to be able to talk that through, I think is, uh, you know, is hugely valuable to make sure that sometimes, sometimes we, we just jump into things. We see a big number, and we go, oh my gosh, think of what I could do with that money and how it would help my family. And we jump in and then we're miserable. And, you know, you're going to trade, trade that money for misery. And, and, you know, that that's not necessarily a win for anyone. Uh, yeah. And I think conversely, just based on your experience too, if you do jump and it's not a great fit, you're not stuck forever. You can either go back to that organization or go somewhere else. There is nothing that says that you have to stay somewhere for a minimum of a year or whatever. And in fact, it is super common now to do what we would call in the past job hopping. But now it's, you know, if you can frame, frame it as uh, looking for new opportunities to learn and grow and broaden your skill set and pursue something that excited you and become a more valuable member of a team. I think it's not a minus at the end of the day. So that's, that's just a great story to hear that you tried something new. Maybe it wasn't great. And Hey, you're not stuck. Right. Yeah. I mean, if, if nothing else, I'm a lifelong learner and I'm not afraid to make mistakes and, you know, recognizing them and admitting them is, is key, right? And I, I recognized I made a mistake and I fixed it. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andy. I will uh, link to your organization in the show notes and share some of the stuff that you are putting out there. And I appreciate all of this great advice. Julie, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for thinking about me. Uh, you know, this has been fun and full circle. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Julie, check out whatsnextteacher.com or follow up on social media at whatsnextteacher across all platforms. Thanks again and see you next time.